Well, thank you. It is great to see you, everybody. Uh, I hope you're doing well. I hope you've been enjoying our sermon series around the table as we look at the mealtimes of Jesus throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke and as we encourage one another to engage in Christian hospitality. Uh, my wife, Becky, was uh, somewhat amused uh, when she heard that I was doing one of the sermons in this sermon series, knowing that it was about hospitality. I inquired as to why she was so amused. Uh, and she reminded me of a, a few of my early hospitality uh, efforts uh, when we'd first got together. Um, one of them stood out in her mind particularly. Uh, I'd invited, this is when we just got together before we were married, I'd invited a, a bunch of people over to my flat and they were all um, chatting away in the living room, having a wonderful time together when uh, soon a, a couple of people realized that I hadn't been around for uh, a little while. And uh, so these couple of, only a couple of concerned people, uh, decided that they'd go off and look for their absent host. Uh, So where was I? Was I uh, in the kitchen, slaving away, preparing something for my guests, or perhaps out in the garden, inflating a bouncy castle for everyone to play with? Uh, No, truth be told, it had just all got a bit too much for me, and uh, they found me in my spare room, lying on the bed, reading a book. Um, (laughs) Much to uh, Becky. The funny thing about it is, I, I genuinely don't think that's an unreasonable thing to do. You know, I'd, uh, I'd given up my home for people. They were having a great time. I love people. Doesn't mean I have to speak to them all the time. You know, I just wanted a bit of a break to recharge and go back. Uh, she reminded me also of a, a few of the early romantic meals that I prepared uh, for the two of us. Uh, frozen pizza, figured heavily. Frozen anything with these little microwave. Uh, packets of veg, which are disgusting, Uh, and also pasta and sauce, uh, where I used to use these little stirring pots that were for one, but you could stretch them to two of you if you had an understanding partner, Um, which I thought I did, but being as she's remembered this for 10 years, maybe, maybe I got that one wrong. But all to say that I think hospitality has improved a great deal in the Webster household ever since Becky and I uh, got married. But not to knock my early efforts, and not to knock your efforts if you're where I was at back then. Because as we've found throughout this series, that actually Christian hospitality is not so much about impressing people. And I was feeling very smug when that point was made, because I'd never impressed anyone with my hospitality. But it's not so much about impressing people as it is about opening up our hearts and opening up our homes to others. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at this wonderful story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So please watch this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, it is a wonderful story, and we see really two things in particular happening here. On the one hand, we see Jesus having an open heart to everybody, and that's proved by him giving this unlikely invitation to this most unlikely of people, the chief 
tax collector Zacchaeus. The second scene we see, if you like, is Zacchaeus' wholehearted response in opening up his home to Jesus and to Jesus' companions. So we're going to look at those two things today uh, to contribute to the rest of the sermon series to help us to continue to grow as people who open our hearts and our homes to others. So the first thing we're going to look at then today, an open heart and unlikely invitation. Just to celebrate because we don't have masks on here and if you want to join in at home wherever you're watching that would be great as well. Why don't we say that together? We're going to look at an open heart and an unlikely invitation. What a wonderful sound. Um, So what we see first of all then is that Jesus Christ has an open heart towards Zacchaeus. And Luke is telling us this story to tell us really that Jesus has an open heart to everybody. It says this, uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now Luke in writing this is recording a historical event, but he's also picking out very particularly all the things he can tell us about Zacchaeus that would make us think that Zacchaeus would be disqualified from having fellowship from Uh, with Jesus. He's pointing out the things that would make us think that Jesus' heart would actually be closed to Zacchaeus, but actually we see Jesus' heart is open to him. After all, he is a tax collector, and not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. And the reason the tax collectors, we've heard this before, but bears repeating, the reason the tax collectors were so uh, despised um, is because what they were doing was actually working for the occupying enemy. Yeah, the people of God, the people in Israel at that particular time were occupied by the Roman Empire. Empires don't fund themselves, and so what they had to do was collect taxes off the people they were occupying. And it was a very stringent set of taxes. It could really ruin you and make life very, very uh, tough. And they used to use a system called tax farming, whereby they basically say, right, you're the tax collector, you go to that particular region, you have to collect this amount of money, and anything else that you collect on top of that, you can keep for yourself. So not only were these people collaborators working on behalf of the, en- of the enemy, but actually they also got rich doing it. That's why it says here, Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He's not only working against his own people, but he's cheating his own people to become rich. Even the fact that Luke says that Zacchaeus is short is probably a little bit of a dig here. Um, I don't like this any more than you do as a not particularly tall man. I know I might look tall on camera, but that's just because of the way it looks on screen. Tom Cruise will often say the same thing happens to him when people come up. But actually, in that day, the kind of anthropology of the day, it sort of suggested being short was kind of negative. So to write that someone was short in stature was kind of to say that they were short in status. Luke is saying, look how many boxes he ticks to make you think this is a very unlikely person to be invited to come and eat with Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Is his heart closed to him? No, we see that Jesus invites him to have a meal with him that day. And what I want you to think about is who are the unlikely people that perhaps consciously or unconsciously you've just kind of crossed off the guest list when it comes to thinking about who you would have round. You know, there are people that we might want round, and that's often what we think about when it comes to hospitality. Those people are going to have a real laugh with. But actually what we need to think of are who are the people that actually need us to have them round. Who are the people that you kind of, in those kind of categories, you tick the kind of boxes that you think, well, those aren't the kind of people we're going to have around. Are the people that come to mind as I say that? Or perhaps more specifically, because I don't just think Zacchaeus is an unlikely character here. I think he's quite a tragic character. And we can see that by looking at a couple of things. Number one is his name. His name is Zacchaeus. 
They know what that means. It means pure. What does that tell us? It tells us that Zacchaeus had godly parents who wanted the best for him. And take it from somebody who's had a hand in naming three boys in the last six years. You take it very seriously when you name a child, don't you? And all the more was that true in New Testament times, in that particular culture. You named a child that because that's what you wanted them to grow up to be. They wanted their little boy to be pure. They'd have watched him, just like I watched my child, growing up throughout the synagogue, praying with other people. And yet he's not grown up to be pure. Actually, he's grown up to be corrupt, cheating those very people that he used to go to synagogue with. And we actually see that Jesus kind of says this himself. He says, this is, at the end of the story, this is a son of Abraham. In other words, he was one of us. He's one of the people of God, but he's gone astray. And I wonder if there's anybody you can think of right now who used to be with us, who used to be part of the church, but for whatever reason, maybe they've just uh, gone astray, maybe, they, maybe there's some kind of moral failure or something like that. And it's kind of awkward, or maybe it hurts to think of inviting them back into the fold. But maybe just like Zacchaeus, they're desperate to come back in. They're desperate to see Jesus. And your invitation would be that one thing that would allow them to come back in and meet with him. Is there anyone we can think of? Is there anybody we can open our hearts to today? But we don't just want to emulate Jesus in opening our hearts to everyone here. We can also celebrate the fact that Jesus has an open heart for us. See, we're not Jesus in this story uh, thinking about Zacchaeus as we can invite. We're Zacchaeus. And Jesus is the one offering an uh, unlikely invitation to us. You know, let's never forget, if you are here and you're a Christian, if you've met with Jesus, that you've met with Jesus not because of some great thing you've done, but because of grace. Because he decided to treat us not as our sins deserve, but rather to forgive us, to take us in, to love us. He has opened his heart up to us. And can I say, if you have never accepted that invitation from Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance at the end to pray with me that you might come to know Jesus today, that you might come and have intimate friendship and fellowship with Jesus and follow him today. But it's not just that he invites us for the first time. Maybe Jesus is inviting us afresh. Maybe he's inviting us not just to come to know him for the very first time, but to come into deeper fellowship with him. Or... If I can be more specific and a little bit more personal, maybe you're in the same kind of situation I've been in for about the last 18 months. I shared this a a few weeks ago, that that actually since lockdown and since not being able to meet together physically as Kingsgate, I've actually really struggled. You know, and I'm I'm not here sort of saying, you know, I've had some big failure or something, having an affair, not dabbling in witchcraft or anything like that. What I'm talking about is I've just, the normal passion that I have for Jesus, I've just felt, uh, get a bit negative. I found myself just going a little bit lukewarm. And as I thought about that, and I used that very word, it triggered something in my mind. That is the book of Revelation where Jesus writes to the seven churches at the beginning of that great book. And one of the churches he writes to is a church in a place called Laodicea. And he challenges that very church by saying, do you know what, you've gone lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And that's kind of how I've been feeling. And I've spoken to some other people who are feeling a little bit the same. And in a sense, I'm kind of encouraged by that. Because after all, if we could have this 18 months or however long it's been, uh, where we've not, it's not been so easy to meet together and it didn't make any difference, <laughs> I think I'd find that discouraging. But actually what I've found is it's just affected me. And I know it's affected some of you. And if you're in that situation, what is it that Jesus says to that church when he says that they're lukewarm? What does he do? Does he condemn them? Does he abandon them? No, do you know what he does? He invites them to a meal. 
Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, often when this verse is talked about, they'll talk about Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. So I've no problem with people saying that. This isn't a dig or anything. But more specifically in context, actually, he's knocking on the door of a church. He's knocking on the door of a house where believers are gathered. And so if you're in that situation today where you feel like the passion's gone off a little, or you want to go deeper with Jesus, why don't we open the door to Jesus this morning? His heart is open to us to come in, to, to open the door and allow him to come in and have fellowship. And it shouldn't be us thinking, okay, you know, I'll go and open the door and Jesus can read the riot act and I'll try and get back on track. It's not that at all. No, he wants to come in and have intimate friendship and fellowship with us. You know, my little boys, I love it when nanny and granddad are expected during the day. And they know that nanny and granddad are going to come and they're getting really excited about it. And even the night before, they're saying, what time are they coming? And then during the day... <coughs> say, Daddy, when will Nanny and Grandad come here? And eventually you're able to say, okay, we've had the message. They're going to be here in like half an hour. And the anticipation and excitement as they come. And then we get to that moment where we hear that knock at the door. And there's just great excitement in the boys as they get up and show. And, and because, you know, they're so young, they're, you know, the, the, there's, there's no embarrassment or anything in this. In fact, my four-year-old Isaac literally goes, when people come to the door. Why is it? Because they know that when they open that door and let nanny and granddad in, they're letting them in for fun and for fellowship and for enjoyment. And that's how we should feel. We've got Jesus Christ, the living son of God, is inviting us to open the door up. He's got an open heart for us. He wants to come in and love us and have fellowship with us and share friendship with us. He's not coming in to recap the rules. He's coming in to reestablish the relationship. So let's be those who celebrate that Jesus has an open heart for us and those who emulate Jesus and have an open heart for others. So we see an open heart and an unlikely invitation. Number two, we see a wholehearted response and an open home. Again, if we can say that together, please. A wholehearted response and an open home. I love Zacchaeus' response here. You know, it strikes me that God never forces us to do things. Yeah, he commands us, but you've still got the chance to disobey that command. He normally invites us to do things. The question is simply, what will our response be? You know, if you're going to say yes to him, there's essentially two ways of doing it. And one is half-hearted, the other is whole-hearted. And we see here from Zacchaeus what a whole-hearted response to Jesus looks like. The first thing it looks like is it's swift. In fact, it's immediate. It says this, when Jesus invites him down from the tree, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know, what are you like when Jesus invites you to do something? When Jesus, you know, very gently and sweetly gets on your case about something. I don't know about you, but I can drag my heels sometimes. Um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking a few years ago, I, I read a couple of books on prayer. If you're interested, one, one by Artie Kentel, one by Derek Prince. And I remember um, it just changed my prayer life completely both heart-wise, but also practically. I ended up with prayer lists and things. But somewhere along the line, um, I just didn't know any of the people on the prayer lists anymore. And it started to get a bit funny because I didn't know what I was praying for them for and so on. And I was not crossing people out, but adding people on. And it was getting a bit mismanaged and so on. And it's just sort of, and, you know, you have kids and things like that and things get busy and it kind of fell out the way. And actually God for years has been telling me, get that prayer list going again. And what do I say? Oh, I say, yeah, oh no, I will do that. But I'm always putting it off. I'm always dragging my heels. I'm always being half-hearted about it. 
And I got thinking when preparing the sermon, actually, I'm going to stop doing that. So I've resolved by the time I'm back um, in October and I'm teaching, that prayer list is going to be up and running. It doesn't have to be something I can do right now. I can't do it today. I'm doing this, right? But I can resolve that I'm going to get it stored and stop messing around with it. And if we're going to be wholehearted, we need to do that, not just keep putting things off. Maybe it's the hospitality thing for you. You know, we listen to this whole series. I don't know how many we've got, nine, ten, or, or whatever, when we're finished. And we sort of think, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that when the kids are older. We'll do that when the extension's done. We'll do that when the house is tidy. We'll do that when... And there's always these ways we can put things off. Now, sometimes these are very legitimate, very practical. I get that. I'm not trying to put extra burdens on you. But a wholehearted response is a swift response. Secondly, we see that it's a committed response, particularly in Zacchaeus wanting to find Jesus for the first time, wanting to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So we see here, the crowd becomes an obstacle for Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus' response is wholehearted. He's committed, and so he doesn't let the obstacle get in the way. Not only is the crowd physically in the way, so he has to climb the uh, sycamore fig tree. And by the way, I've been to Israel, I've been to Jericho, and I've seen that very fig tree uh, that it was. And then as I was going past another tour guide, I saw him telling everybody else that the other fig tree, the other side, was also the very fig tree. But all to say, a sycamore fig tree is designed exactly that way because actually it's got low branches you can climb on. This is real history we're reading about here. And he climbed up, sacrificing his dignity really, and also being very brave because you are a collaborator with the enemy. You don't want to be in some big crowd. All it takes is a zealot to slip up with a dagger and you're done for. So he climbs up, he risks things, he he risks his dignity, he risks his safety just so he can get over the crowd and see Jesus. But it's not just physically the crowd are in the way, psychologically they're in the way as well. They they mutter about him, they're saying things about him. And it got me thinking with this. A wholehearted response means we've got to be committed to overcoming the obstacles. We've got to get over the crowd. We've got to get over what people think about us and what people say about us when it comes to responding to Jesus. You know, being a Christian sometimes means believing and thinking things that the crowd don't like. It sometimes means doing things or going places that actually the people around us don't approve of. But actually, we've got to be like Zacchaeus here. And we've got to say, actually, we're going to be less, we don't have to be rude to people. We're going to be less bothered about what the crowd like and more bothered about what Jesus wants. We've got to get past all that so that we can see Jesus. We've got, pardon the pun, to sometimes go out on a limb so that we can see Jesus. But it might not be just the crowd that's an obstacle. It can be all sorts of things. You know, hobbies are good. In fact, I think they're really important. It's great to be able to relax and get into something. But sometimes a hobby can take over and it can actually get in the way of Jesus. I actually found I was getting way too obsessed with football last year during lockdown. I think it was lockdown that kind of helped with this because there wasn't so much going on in life and so on. But I, I got fixated. Um, maybe this was just because Man United let me down eventually in the end. But I think it, you can tell when something's getting in the way of Jesus because it starts to hurt where that hobby starts to actually sort of get in the way of things and starts to weigh you down a bit, starts to matter way too much. It might be that what the obstacle is for you, what's holding you back from seeing Jesus, is a particular sin. Can I say that actually sometimes when we got, there's all sorts of reasons not to sin, but one of the reasons is that it actually stops us from having real fellowship with Jesus. You know, I know people sometimes who've struggled so hard with something like pornography 
that actually they never put two and two together and never think, why do they actually not grow with Jesus? You know? If that's you right now and you're feeling awkward, please don't. You know, no one should be judging anybody if you're struggling with that kind of thing. Everybody has the things that get to them, they can struggle in and so on. But I want to say, you'll never truly see Jesus until you can get over those things. And if you feel lost in it and despairing about that, actually all it might take is a resolve that actually, yeah, I'm going to be like Zacchaeus here. I'm going to be wholehearted. I'm really going to try and get over that. Now, many years ago, I used to smoke. And I think it was W.C. Fields who said, giving up smoking is easy. I've done it thousands of times. But there is that kind of thing that actually, if you are half-hearted, it will be like that. But do you know how many times it took me to give up smoking once I was wholehearted about it? Once. It was when I just finally thought, I've had enough of this and I'm going to give these up. You just had to make that decision. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're stuck in some kind of sin habit or something. And all it takes is actually to say, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to resolve this. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it risks my dignity or whatever. I'm going to get over this so I can see Jesus. As it says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The other thing, and the final thing, that a wholehearted response to Jesus is, is it is practical. See, with Zacchaeus here, yes, it's a heart change, and that's the important thing, but that doesn't mean it's just internal. Actually, what it does on the inside affects what happens on the outside. Zacchaeus knows that he's cheated people. He knows that he's hurt people. And we see the state of his heart in this because he practically wants to put it right. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give away half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. If you look in the Old Testament law, uh, paying four times the amount was the greatest penalty there was. He's saying, I get this. I get how bad this is. And I want to put it right. And notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, let's see how you get on with those things. Yeah, I want to see some action here. I want to see you do those things. I want to see you give away your possessions. I'm going to do a bit, uh, an inventory and check that your possessions really have gone away. I'm going to check that you really have given back fourfold. No, Jesus says this. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, Jesus recognizes his heart, his intention. And he sees that because he wants to do these things, that very day he is saved. And so what we see here is this practical outworking that Zacchaeus wants to put things right tells us what's going on in his heart. And that is enough for Jesus. It might be that you have repented of your sins, you've become a Christian, but we must follow up on that. We must have a genuinely changed heart to practically start putting things right with people. I wouldn't suggest you make reparations with people you've hurt from the past without finding a advice from a life group leader or a pastor because sometimes it can be inappropriate to do that but if you have that intention that is a sign of a changed heart the final way that it is practical this wholehearted response of Zacchaeus is this he opens up his home to Jesus and his companions and that's what we've talking about throughout this whole series see when we open our hearts to Jesus we will open our homes to others we'll see that when there is a change on the inside of us, when we have a wholehearted response to Jesus, it will result in us wanting to see other people coming into the kingdom, wanting to share fellowship with them, wanting to share our homes with them. And if your home is impractical to share, take them to a coffee shop, that's fine. But what we see here with Zacchaeus is he has both an open heart to Jesus and an open home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you 
for everything that you're doing throughout this series and for everything that you've shown us today through the life of Jesus, through the life of Zacchaeus. We pray that you will give us open hearts that we might invite people to share our homes with them, to share fellowship with them. And we pray that you will help us practically to make some changes in our lives, to invite others, perhaps to seek out those who need us rather than those that we want. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me? I'd love to have a time of response. You know, I mentioned partway through that it might be that you've never actually responded to the invitation to Jesus to become a Christian. Jesus' heart is open to everybody. You know, I've said to people in the past around Christmas and things like that, um, you know, do you want to uh, come to church? Would you like to come to our Christmas carol service? And sometimes people will say things like, oh, I don't think I could come near a church. I think there'll be a bolt of lightning. Now, I know that they're probably just saying that in jest, but I do wonder if there are some people who really do think that actually Jesus' heart might be closed to them. But actually the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel message is that his heart is open to everybody and that includes you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd love a chance to pray for you in just a moment. Or perhaps when I was talking about going lukewarm, or perhaps when I was talking about being away from Jesus, perhaps that struck a chord with you. Perhaps you feel like once you were going great guns for Jesus, but now it's kind of gone off the boil, or you've been away altogether like Zacchaeus, but actually like Zacchaeus, you're desperate to come back. I'd love to have a chance to pray for you right now. And so if that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to come to Jesus, if you want to respond to his gracious invitation from his open heart for the first time, or if you want to come back to him, whether you're here in the building, whether you're watching me online, I would love, just so I know who I'm going to be praying for, and even though I can't see you online, I'd love you just to react to this, just because the Lord can see it, just to pop up your hand right now whether to come to know Jesus for the first time, whether to return to him, whether to rekindle that relationship. You could pop up your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. That would be wonderful. You can see hands going up in the building here. Trust there are some people wanting to respond at home. Thank you for those with your hands up. I'm just gonna pray a prayer right now for you. And then what I'd love for you to do is um, pray along with me a phrase at a time. Whether you're here, whether you're watching online, that you might come to know Jesus for the first time or come back to him, that you might rekindle that relationship today. Church, just so they don't feel alone here in the building, can we all join in together? Home, you might want to join in as well. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Lord Jesus, thank you that your heart is open to me. Thank you for your gracious invitation. I choose to accept your invitation today. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Forgive me for anything I've done wrong. And help me to follow you or continue to follow you for the rest of my life. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.